So, our um, study of Paul's letter to Titus is still in the first half of chapter 2 this week, and we're going to be looking at the same eight verses that David King was um, talking um, about last week. But whilst David's um, subject was the advice given to the older men and women in the church, I've been asked to focus just on the younger men and women in the church. And David, you were asking whether there might be something in the way the subjects have been allocated. I have absolutely no idea, but (laughs) let other people make the judgment about that. Let's read the passage. So we're in Titus chapter 2 and we're reading from verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about it. We'll look at what Paul said uh, about the younger men and women um, in a few minutes. But first I'd like to focus on how Paul framed all this advice. What was he getting at and why did he give this advice in the first place? In verse 1, Paul tells Titus that he must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And of course, um, David reminded us last week of the importance of teaching the truths of the faith, because if we don't know what sound doctrine is, how can we know what is appropriate to it? But it's important to note here in verse 1 that Paul isn't telling Titus to teach sound doctrine. He's already said that in the previous chapter. He says here that Titus must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And whenever the Greek word, which is translated there, is used in the New Testament, it's always describing the things that people do in comparison to some sort of standard or expectation that people might have. And Paul is talking about faith in action, isn't he? How believers should behave in the light of Christian doctrine. It's actually the same point that Jesus was making that David also reminded us of last week um, when he referred to that occasion when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And as you know, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, Matthew 22. Now Jesus was only asked about 
the first commandment. But he went on to talk about the second commandment because it's inseparable from the first. He was saying that although loving God is of course our first priority, an essential part of loving God is to love our neighbour as much as we love ourselves. And uh, Jesus didn't say that all the law and the prophets hang on just the first commandment. He said that it all hung on both these commandments, which is not what the Pharisees wanted to uh, hear because they had made their religion, their religion, into something which was all about rules and rituals and studying the scriptures and somehow they had missed the point of it all. And that's the point that Paul is stressing to Titus now. Christianity is essentially about action. It's about good works. It's about our behaviours. Yes, all of that needs to be built on a foundation of sound doctrine. For example, we need to know that no amount of good works will save us without faith in the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and, and what that means. But if our doctrine is real to us, if our love for God is real, then our faith and love will be expressed in the way we live our lives, especially in our relationships with one another and kindness towards other people. So Paul, um, when Paul tells Titus that he must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, he immediately gives him a list of very practical things, doesn't he? Things that um, Titus should do. He doesn't give Titus um, a study syllabus. He writes about how members of the church should behave. And that's what Paul is, is getting at here. And here's the why. Here's why it was so important, why he was stressing it to Titus. In verse 5 he says, so that no one will malign the word of God. And in verse 8 he says, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. They have nothing bad to say about us. So that's, that's part of the why. But there's always another question that we can ask uh, when we're asking why questions. Journalists know this. If you ever want to get to the truth, the bottom of something, the truth of something, you just keep asking the question why, and eventually you arrive at a destination. Why did Paul care about what people said about the church? Why did he care about that? It was because he knew that the reputation of the church was vital to the mission of the church. It was vital for fulfilling the Great Commission. A um, couple of Bible verses, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, a good name is better than fine perfume. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. And here's a secular quote, um, which is valid because we're thinking about the reputation of the church in a secular world. Richard Branson said, your brand name is only as good as your reputation. And Paul, part of Paul's concern in this letter is the brand of Christianity, what it stood for in Crete. Of course, character is more important than reputation, isn't it? Character is what we really are. Reputation is what people think we are. Um, but we're in the business of reaching out to other people with the gospel. And what they think about us really does matter, doesn't it? 
And that's why our behaviour is so important. As Benjamin Franklin put it, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only bad one, uh, only one bad one, one bad deed to, um, to lose it. And as you know, for today, today for many people, um, the church is better known for the various scandals that have hit the news in recent years, more than all the good works that have been done over many years. Reputation and maintaining it and having a good reputation is so important, isn't it? So let's think about the actual advice that Paul was giving here. I'm not going to say a lot about the specifics because I think the advice largely speaks for itself. But, but why was it different um, for older and younger Christians? And why was it only the younger women who were expected to love their husbands? And why was it only the older women who were told not to drink too much? Um, I think a reasonable assumption here is that when Paul was giving this advice, he was mindful of the, um, of, the of the people in the church and also local culture, what people generally expected of decent, law-abiding, moral people. And therefore, if we take the one which seems to be saying that the place of, of uh, younger women is in the home, of course we don't take that as an expectation for all women everywhere for all time because throughout the Bible for example New Testament we have Lydia the merchants um, throughout the Bible we find women with all sorts of important roles outside the home but we do know that generally in the culture of that time society did think that the woman's place was in the home was managing the home and if women didn't do that, it was thought that they were lazy, that they were idle, that they were guilty of conduct unbecoming of a woman. And that's just the kind of thing that Paul didn't want anyone to say about followers of Christianity. And so the advice he gave was appropriate for that time. And actually it has remained appropriate at different times and in different places over the last 2,000 years depending on the expectations of local cultures. I'm not saying, of course, that all the advice in this passage is just to help Christians fit in with local, local culture. We know in Romans 12 that uh, it says that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. But Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 9, that he had become all things to all people, so that by all possible means he might save some. And when we look at verse 9, next week, it's next week's passage, but we'll see in the advice which was given to slaves, um, again, advice which was relevant because of the culture um, and the practices um, of, of that day. But the advice he gives to slaves was that if they served their masters well, what? He says, you will make the teachings about our God and Saviour more attractive. So the encouragement to people in the church was to behave in such a way as to make the teachings of Christianity attractive. Paul was constantly mindful of the reputation of the church and how its behaviours and practices looked to the outside world. Now you might think it's strange that Paul was encouraging uh, and so concerned that the members of the church in Crete should uh, be on their best behaviour, given what we've learned um, 
previously about um, what culture was like in Crete. Um, but it's true, isn't it, that generally speaking, people know what good behaviour looks like, even when they don't practice it themselves. Um, and when people take the moral high ground, uh, which is what it probably looked like to anyone in Crete looking at the church from the outside, um, and the same could be said um, of us today, um, when people appear to be taking the moral high ground, um, others look for any evidence of hypocrisy. So we do have to be on our best behaviour uh, at all times. So what was the advice that Paul gave? As we can see, it wasn't an exhaustive list of Christian behaviours, was it? Um, and again, as I've been saying, I, I, it, it may have been influenced by local factors, but they're still relevant to us today. All this advice is still relevant to us today. Firstly, because the passage is only part of the letter to Titus, and Paul does go on to mention other do's and don'ts, um, which do actually add up to something approaching a comprehensive list of expected Christian behaviours. Secondly, the advice is compatible with other areas of scripture, um, for example, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And thirdly, regardless of any cultural influence in how the advice is targeted in the passage, I think today we should apply the old saying, if the cap fits, we should wear it. For example, looking again at verse 5, right? The bit about the woman's place is in the home, right? Okay? If you're a guy who stays home while your wife goes out to work, then you should be diligent in looking after the home. Or if the housework is shared, then both par partners should do their share properly. Or if you're someone who lives on your own, it's still appropriate for you to do your housework and keep your house neat and, neat and tidy. So my point here is that the advice of verse 5 is actually to all of us, depending on our circumstances in life. It's not just an um, advice that women should spend their lives cooking and cleaning and looking after their men. That's not what verse 5 is saying. Let's look quickly at the other advice. In verses 4 to 5, we see that the younger women were to love their husbands and children and be subject to their husbands. That advice, of course, is completely compatible with the passage in Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 23. A passage which teaches us about mutual love and submission. The, the mutual love and submission that should exist between wives and husbands. And I say mutual because, bearing in mind, that little passage starts off by saying that we should all submit to one another. So it's a mutual expectation. And therefore, I think we can also assume that that's the type of love that's being mentioned here in Titus. A sacrificial love. The kind of love which really is the foundation for any mutual submission. It should never be necessary for one um, partner, uh, husband, wife or, or, or anyone, to impose their will on somebody else. Certainly not in the Christian community, that's the point. Moving on to verses 5 to 6, we're urged to be self-controlled. Um, that's the one piece of advice, I think, which is targeted at both the men and the women. And as you know, this is one of the qualities of 
the Holy Spirit and uh, of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and it's so important, isn't it, not just to resist the temptations of the world around us, um, but we need to be mindful that churches, and I know I've made this point um, several times before, churches are made up of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, with different convictions and different priorities, um, and, and, and often we feel very passionately about their position on the different the things that they disagree with. Within the church community, there is possibly more potential for conflict um, and disagreement than, than, than anywhere else. And so both in the world and within the community of the church, we need to master our wills and our tongues and our passions. We need self-control. Uh, verse 5, another one in verse 5, we have the advice to be kind. Uh, I'm not going to say um, a lot about this one, except that a dictionary definition of kindness, it says, is the quality of being friendly, generous and considerate. And the only point I want to make here is actually about, um, is, is, is about definitions generally. These days it's so easy for us to look up the meaning of the Bible's original languages. Um, Greek and Hebrew, Hebrew dictionaries, um, very clever um, uh, tools to, to help in our Bible study. And they will give us the probable or the possible meaning, at least, of the original text in our own language. But whether or not we use one of these Greek and um, Hebrew dictionaries, I'd just like to say that it's just as important to be sure that we fully understand the meaning of the English words that have been so very carefully chosen by the translators when they produced the Bibles that we've got in front of us. These days, the meaning of modern languages is constantly evolving. And also because we sometimes use words in our everyday um, speech in a much kind of casual way without worrying too much about what the words actually mean. So I think there's just as much value in using an English dictionary in our Bible study as there is in using a Hebrew and Greek dictionary. And if we use kindness as an example of that, we would understand, having read the definition, that kindness is not a passive um, sentiment. It is something that requires action. And the challenge would then come to us is that we should really think about what kindness means in practice. Am I being sufficiently friendly and generous and considerate in my day-to-day -day life? Now, moving on um, to the advice to the younger men. Interestingly, the only specific advice was to be self-controlled. There was some indirect advice um, that was to be given through the example that Paul wanted Titus to show them. But the men, the young men, um, do seem to get off a bit light here in this passage. Except, as I said earlier, recognising that there may have been uh, local or cultural reasons why Paul, um, why Paul targeted the different groups in the church uh, with specific instructions, I think we can take all this advice as potentially applicable to anyone in the church then and now again that expression i used before if the cap fits were it in other words just because it's only the older men who are told to be temperate and only the um, older women 
who um, were told to be careful about their wine consumption, that doesn't mean that the young men and women could drink as much as they wanted, obviously, does it? Um, and in fact, as you go through the passage, you'll notice in verse 3, when Paul moves from the older men to the older women, he uses the word likewise, because the general aim of the advice was the same. And when he moves from the older women to the younger women, it's on the basis that what he has told the older women to do, that that would be the basis of what they would then go on to teach the, 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 uh, the younger women. It would be part of the example he expected them to set. And then in verse 6, when he moves on to talk about the younger men, he again starts with the word likewise or similarly, depending on which version you're using. So my point, I guess, is that the, the advice is all joined up. Um, and we shouldn't try to artificially um, split it up and say, well, why, was the, why were the women told that they had to be careful with their wine consumption the older women were not the younger women. And is there a special spiritual significance to that? No, I don't think we need to look for that. This is practical advice and altogether it can be uh, viewed as applicable to all of us. The general aim of the advice, as we've already thought, was to encourage good behaviour throughout the church expressed in whatever roles each person might have in the church or in their family life or in society at large and the reason for that aim was so that the members of the church would be viewed by outsiders as model citizens men and women worthy of respect role models in their communities not troublemakers not hypocrites not exclusives not weird paul wanted people to see christianity as something attractive even before they knew a single word of the gospel message itself. Another old saying, um, I'm full of the old sayings today, but another old saying is that actions speak louder than words. Um, that's what Paul is emphasising throughout this letter. Firstly, don't bring the church into disrepute through bad behaviour. Secondly, do the opposite. Enhance the church's reputation and therefore the attractiveness of the gospel by doing good, which means thirdly, in order to do good, or to be seen to be doing good, we need to be part of society, don't we? We need to be out there, we need to go out there, go out to bring others in. And that requires a delicate balancing act, doesn't it? As the Lord Jesus taught in the upper room, we are to be, we are not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. And I mentioned Romans 12 before, we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. 1 Peter 1, it says, we're not to conform to its evil desires. But nevertheless, we still need to connect with unbelievers in a meaningful and profitable way. And we need to be mindful in whatever we're doing, that we are walking, talking advertisements for the Christian lifestyle before we said a single word about the gospel which underpins it. Now, just one last thing I'd like to mention before I finish, and that is the power of example. Paul was concerned about how the behaviour of the church, people in the church, would be seen by outsiders. But he was also concerned about the influence that the church members had on each other. 
So the advice to the older women was so that they could set an example for the younger women. And the advice to Titus himself was to set a good example in his teaching, and in more generally, it says, in doing good. So that other old saying, no one is an island, we all influence each other. It's like, I suppose it's a little bit like the point of the... Um, the teaching we take from as iron sharpens iron, but we all, we all influence each other, don't we? For good and for bad. It happens incidentally, often without us even thinking about what we're doing or being aware of how we're influencing somebody else. But I think this passage is encouraging us to do more than just be aware that we might have an influence possibly on other people. The advice to the older women was so that they would urge the younger women. The advice to Titus was that he would set an example, not just be an example, that he would set an example for the younger men. So I think the encouragement in the area of being an example of this passage here is that we, older ones, and you younger ones, as you become older and have younger ones who look up to you, we need to be proactive and looking for ways and opportunities to teach and inspire and pass on what we know to younger generations. I think that's the advice here. Yes, we can all just be an example by watching our behaviour and trying to live a decent life. But I think there is just the encouragement that we could try and do a little bit more whenever we have the opportunity. That might not be very often for many of us but I can remember my younger days uh, growing up in the church in Liverpool and there would be quite often um, someone would come up, one of the older ones would come up, Arthur Horridge actually, who was not known for being great on the platform but was amazing off the platform. He's the one who'd come along and he'd you know, draw alongside you and he'd say that was really good and he'd say you know but I would you know? and he'd give me a little bit of advice on something that he, he could have done, uh, I could have done better. Um, let's be an example whenever we have the opportunity. So, in summary, to finish with, firstly, we've thought about the importance of the reputation of the church. And as members of the church, that means our individual reputations as well. The importance of all of that to the mission of the church. What people see of our behaviour influences what they think of Christianity before they've, as I've said, before they've even heard the single word of the message. Our aim should be to make the teaching and the lifestyle that goes with it as attractive as possible within the framework of the behaviours um, that um, are acceptable in our Bibles. Secondly, we thought about the importance of the example that we show to one another with the encouragement that we should always look for opportunities to do that proactively, especially with the generations that follow. Let's leave it there.